authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of Short Nonfiction for Authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. Authors, I hope you're all keeping well in whatever part of the world you reside and listen to the podcast in. Today's interview is with New York Times best-selling and multi-award winning crime author Ellie Marnie. And I chat to Ellie on hybrid authorship, writing crime, the crime genre, organizations to join for first-time crime writers, empathy when talking to crime professionals, and gaining the confidence to put yourself out there to interview them, writing from perpetrator and protagonist perspectives, researching, interviewing, and much more. So in my author adventure this week, I have been choked with the cold, if you can't already hear it in my voice. Bit nasally, a bit scratchy, so apologies there. Uh, It is school holidays and I've technically given myself the school holidays off after the very mental few weeks I've just went through and... I plan on picking up a writing routine and the book business next week when school returns. Now, for me, if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you'll know that I have sold my house like a week ago and I've moved in with my family into a caravan to travel Australia. So my kids will not be returning back to mainstream school, but they will be homeschooled by me instead. So in between this new life, I have been constantly thinking about my book business, which as writers is a really important part of all our processes, the thinking time. It used to make me feel I wasn't doing anything productive if I wasn't sitting in front of the computer, you know, typing words or actually just doing the physical act of writing. But as I've gained more experience, and many of you listening will agree, you understand that reflection and time to sit and think are all so important to the overall work and business plan. So I have selected one, what I have done <laughs> is selecting one, I've selected one marketing task that I'll be focusing on other than my podcast for my two nonfiction books, Freelance Writing, Quick Tips for Fast Success and Author Fears and How to Overcome Them. And this will be to contact universities Australia-wide to make them aware of my books as a good resource for writing students and whether they are interested in purchasing them for their school. In my writing author adventure, I have returned to the plotting phase of my women's fiction books, which I only share and talk about on my newsletter. So if you're keen to know more about this hefty project, a challenging one also, you can head on over to the Hybrid Author website, hybridauthor.com.au and sign up for your free author pass, which is a 14-page document, which is yours forever, and it outlines the aspects of hybrid authorship in the writing, publishing and promoting stages, everything I've accumulated over the the last 10 years of learning by going to workshops, writing retreats, publishing seminars, writing degree, everything that I'm putting myself out there, obviously as an author, is contained in this document so far. So if you'd like that information and further updates of fortnightly newsletters ongoing to your mailbox from me, uh, yeah, go ahead and sign up over there. 
my children's fiction author adventures, both my picture book and junior fiction are still out on submission with traditional publishers. In my caravan adventure, what an adventure it's been so far, folks. We set off last Saturday the 15th to head to Bustleton in Western Australia for a week's booking at Mandalay Resort, which we had rebooked from Easter last year. It's really for our kids' benefit. It's like a kids' playground. They made good friends last year, which we they, they were there again at the same time and they instantly went off with them. They've got the slides, water slides, pool, uh, massive park and great big oval area for sports. I have friends down in that area so we caught up with them for a barbecue on Sunday and then the torrential rain hit and it went for a little while and then when it stopped we noticed that there was a leak coming through the speaker in the middle of the caravan and it did not stop. <laughs> now it was only like a one like a sort of drip one drip but the fact that it was coming through there through the roof was a bit of a concern and even when it stopped raining it just didn't stop and it, we had like a towels on the floor and a bowl underneath it sort of dripping down I'm just thankful you know it wasn't on my bed or with one of the children's beds and because it was the weekend there wasn't anything we could do so we had to wait till Monday to get in touch with our dealership and find out what they were going to do about it because obviously something like that can result into being quite serious if, if the you know water has leakage has gone into the wood that can result in mold and just all sorts of stuff not what we want when we're, tr- we're going around the country so they were qu- pretty good at getting onto places fast and trying to find somewhere where we were to get it fixed and uh, it just didn't happen so they could not get us in anywhere till May so we ended up making the decision to come back to Perth which was quite disappointing two days into our trip having to turn around and come home and also now we don't really have a home that is our home <laughs> and it was like leaking so thank goodness thank you to my parents who took us in you know we're very lucky that we had that option so many don't and it's just it's quite scary that that was the case so they had it in to assess and then got in contact to keep it for another two days then we spoke with them yesterday and uh, they were replacing some panel in it which we were grateful for because we didn't really want them just to patch it up and send us on and uh, but so the the story is now we are able to get it on monday and we are going to set off again take two on our trip wednesday next wednesday so yeah <laughs> it's uh it's been it's it's very up and down very up and down but you know what being a writer i'm used to that so i fit the bill for this caravan in life you know pretty pretty good i think and yeah i just wanted to say if you're thinking of heading off in a caravan with your family or other know that it exercises your problem solving skills daily (laughs) often hourly and you have to make decisions and change them on the spot you have to roll with whatever happens at the time i just want to say that in amongst life and working our writing life into it listen to yourself and your body i did not get much done uh in the thick of selling and moving our house which is understandable it was a really crazy time and i can see that i'm not going to really be able to plan a whole lot going forward as so many things can change and you just have to roll with what's happening and that's the same for anyone really in in life just uh, writing and in life you know shit happens (laughs) and you just have to get on with it and and do what you can you know i as i said in amongst all the stuff that's going on 
on, my book business is still at the forefront of my mind because it is a business. It's not something that you can't, you just want to do on a whim. And that kind of sometimes feels like it for me, but I have had other means of income. I want this to be my main income. So I really need to up my game, which I'm feeling quite excited that I... I feel really unloaded actually of leaving the day job, letting go of some of my other responsibilities and having this time to focus on this business. So I, and I also just wanted to say that even though things are crazy or whatever, you just have to find where you can, you, you know, figure out what you want to achieve and then just slot it in where you can make sure that you do and when you can, doesn't have to be daily, whatever works for you. Last night after the kids went to bed, I just sat up and uh, got back into my plotting of my women's fiction books and worked pretty much till midnight last night. So that brings us to our sponsor. So this episode is sponsored by Plotter. And for those of you who might have missed episode 57 with Troy Lambert, education lead of Plotter, and that's spelled P-L-O-T-T-R, on plan your books the way you think. Plotter is a new software tool and one I use and it's available to authors to help them plot, plan and outline their books. The features are endless with Plotter. I get updates all the time from their newsletter of how they are listening to their clients, their customers' needs and adjusting the tool to make it more amazing than it already is for authors using it to outline their work. So I'm using it mainly for my women's fiction projects, but I recently went in and used the template for the children's books to outline and structure my junior fiction book a bit better. Uh, just, just to put in the outline I currently had and to see if it was weak in places or where I could make it stronger. After receiving feedback from a writer friend a few months back, I just wanted to see how this would go and it was so helpful. By doing this, I followed the seven beat instructions and just sort of filled in the blanks. So, you know, they've got like beat one introduction and you go onto a little box and it gives you, you know, beginning, it gives you sort of a description of what the beginning of act one should be and it provides examples and then breaks it down on, you know, act one makes up first 25% of the story. It's the opening of the story, which hooks the reader in and introduces the protagonist. Two is the problem, you know, then it goes into end of act one after the protagonist induction introduction introduce the reader to the central problem that needs to be solved there are limited pages in a children's book so be sure to reveal the problem early and then it provides again example beat three is solution one beat four is solution two beat five is solution three then beat six is the climax and then beat seven is the resolution and again it offers a description on each of these and examples so it is right there for you to outline your story or how how you should go about filling in the blanks to make up your plot and outline of your work and it just works as a guide and I tell you what it just because you have that then you know that's you thinking brainstorming writing it all down and then you can actually get on with the writing of the book because you've got a, a you've got a direction so you know obviously everybody works differently but and I'm someone who does usually write to th as I go but I am plotting a lot more because I want to be faster with my work and get it out quicker to make more money. <laughs> Ellie Marnie is a New York Times best-selling and multi-award-winning crime author. Her titles include The Killing Code, None Shall Sleep, The Every Trilogy, No Limits, White Knight, and the Circus Hearts series. 
Ellie's work has been published in 11 countries and optioned for television. She's spent a lifetime researching in mortuaries, interviewing law enforcement officers, talking to autopsy specialists and asking former spies how to make explosives from household items. Now she lives quite sedatedly in North Central Victoria with her family. Welcome to the Hybrid Author Podcast, Ellie. Joanne, thank you so much for having me. Oh, um, out of this world <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not sedated but I don't know maybe I should be <laughs> <laughs> well you've achieved an awful lot uh you clearly have a passion for what you're into how did you start how did you get your start as an author in the beginning how did you end up writing going into writing and then obviously in the crime genre like most people who get into the um, publishing industry or the word business, I've been writing pretty much all my life and started, you know, very young and originally started in fan fiction, actually. So I was writing fan fiction for a long time when I was in my um, late teens, early 20s. And then I got the confidence up to start writing original stories. And then I started entering competitions and I wrote across a whole lot of different genres when I was originally starting out as a newbie newbie writer. And then, like I said, entering a lot of competitions was really useful. And then I started uh, winning a few, placing a few. And then in 2010, I, I won a really big one. I won the Scarlet Stiletto Awards, which is run by Sisters in Crime Australia, which was amazing. And I guess I've probably just stuck with crime writing ever since. So I've really kept on with the crime thrillers. It seemed like a great niche to be in. I know it was a popular genre, but also there just didn't seem to be a lot around for young adult authors, uh, young adult readers, which is the demographic that I write for. So I thought, oh yeah, okay, I can fill this little niche area. And my first book was published in 2013. So that was Every Breath. That was the first book in the Every series. And yeah, I'm about to publish my 11th book in June. Wow. Um, Sunshine Break, yeah, comes yeah. out in June. I can't believe it. I don't that's know amazing. how <laughs> I managed to get to 11 books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So are you were you a big reader of young adult and crime? And you just thought, oh, well, you know, yeah. I, I can't find these two together. So I'll be that person. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, in my other in my other life or when I'm wearing my other hat, I'm um, a high school teacher. And I remember writing a, some crime stories for the stilettos. Then I went into my high school library because I'm, you know, I've always been a big reader of YA um, ever since I was a, a YA person myself, a young adult myself. And then I went into high school libraries to sort of see what crime or thriller related stories they had on the shelves. And back then, when I was looking around in like 2010, 2011, there was really nothing. Most of the, the crime or thriller related books on high school shelves back then were adult mm -hmm. books. And I think um, only Lily Wilkinson had one book out called A Pocket Full of Eyes, which was uh, like a detective mystery story. And I thought, okay, well, you know, this is an area where no one really seems to have noticed that there's anything missing. <laughs> <laughs> and because I'd been reading YA for so long and also reading Sherlock Holmes and Agatha Christie since I was a kid, it felt like a really natural fit. Yeah. Yeah, what's, what's like, I've got to say, I'm not a crime reader. I'm a massive YA reader. What is the, the difference, I suppose, between like mysteries and crime? Are they the same or are they uh, more, yeah. more, are you focused on 
you know there there's a crime so it's more yeah what was the difference I don't know I know it's it's a little bit confusing and it took me a couple of years to figure it out too so a crime is the big umbrella term and then under that you have various subgenres but you can usually divide them into either mysteries or thrillers so a mystery engine is a sort of a situation where you're looking for clues you have a detective who leads the story action and they can be they can come in lots of different forms you know like you can have a mystery story which is really dark and kind of a little bit scary and go into darker themes or you can have something that's quite humorous and funny like um Richard Osman's books you know the Thursday Murder Club or you can have something that's really cozy and sweet where you have you know little Miss Marple investigating <laughs> the village and the vicarage and all of that yep. sort of stuff so yeah, mysteries can take a number of forms and the tone can be really different depending on what the writer prefers to focus on. But always the detective's leading the story and the reader has an opportunity to pick up clues along the way um, so that they can help solve the puzzle. You know, yeah, that's the okay. attraction for yeah. most people who pick up a mystery is they want to be able to, you know, solve the puzzle. Okay. It's like doing Wordle or Sudoku or something like that, you know. <laughs> Whereas with a thriller, it's a slightly different story engine. Yeah, so with a thriller, it's quite often tense or dark right from the first page. And often the detective or the, the you know, the hero of the story is following a few steps behind the criminal, you know, the perpetrator. So often it's the perpetrator who is leading the action of the story and they're kind of setting the tone and the detective's always following behind them and, and the reader's interest comes from that sense of anticipation, you know, of like, well, they might even know a little bit more than the detective because quite often in a thriller you'll get a, a chapter or two from the perpetrator's perspective. So it's that same feeling like when you're watching a, a show where, you know, the detective is about to go into the room and you're like, don't open that door. Yeah. You know, or, or the bomb's about to go off. Or, you know, like the reader knows a little bit more about what's happening than the detective. And their apprehension for what what the detective is going to encounter is what drives the tension on the page. So, yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's amazing. <laughs> they're the two main categories, I guess. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for clarifying that. It's definitely a genre I want to start reading more in. And I do have friends who have a podcast called Crime Divers Podcast. They're two sisters oh. from, from Scotland. And so I listen and uh, I have to tune in and tune out because it is quite dark topics. And obviously mm -hmm. it's, it's a true crime podcast also. So these are things that have actually happened that they share the cases and stuff. And some of them can be quite brutal. And um, then I'm yeah. like, oh, I need a break. And then I go back in. and <laughs> yeah. yeah, true, but, true crime can be pretty intense yes yeah absolutely can so anyway back to writing crime not listening to crime or television crime but you know writing obviously can teach us a lot about ourselves and our, our style and things like that as a genre writing crime you know what what has it kind of taught you as a writer and yeah do, do you have any tips for authors looking to kickstart their writing careers in the genre as well in crime well I mean there used to be this uh, little maxim that you had to have a body somewhere in the first 10 pages. <laughs> I don't know if that really is true. Quite a lot of my books start with citing incident, which kicks everything off in the story. So you have to think about the structure a little bit more, I think, with crime. I mean, look, I'm not saying that you can't be a pantser. You, can't, you can absolutely write a crime novel and fly by the city of pants the whole time. I know a number of authors who do that. 
probably takes but them a in- lot longer. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. I mean, look, I I actually wrote my first book, Every Breath, um, just completely pantsing it. You know, it was it was my first experience of writing crime. But then what I did find as I've as I've gone along is that the more planning that you do um, and the more understanding of plotting that you have for the story, the better. I mean, I, I, I definitely would say that um, every breath was a story that once I'd finished the manuscript, I had to go back and retcon like a whole lot of stuff to make sure that I wasn't writing myself into a corner or that the detective would definitely figure out the mystery at the end of the story. So I think plotting and planning, definitely a huge advantage when you're writing crime. Yeah, no, absolutely. And do you have like uh, a group you're part of? Like, uh, uh, there must be like quite, uh, as you said, it's a really, really popular genre. Um, and I know I, I'm someone who writes for children's and we saw it. There's Squibby, and then I've spoken to people. There's the romance writers of Australia. Is there a body for Australia or just worldwide for like crime writers and thriller writers organizations? Part yes, of? <laughs> absolutely. I mean, look, I would not. Uh, be able to uh, get along I don't think writing crime in Australia if I wasn't a part of Sisters in Crime so they're like a national organization they have a number of chapters in Australia the Melbourne chapter is you know closest to me and it's it's they're really strong and they're basically a grassroots organization that supports writers and readers and if you're a female identifying writer of crime then they are definitely the people to connect with because they run a lot of events, some amazing stuff. You know, they do a lot of panels, obviously, interviews with other writers, but they also have these amazing events during times like Law Week where they have interviews with coroners, you know, barristers in legal cases, um, police and other law enforcement officers who can kind of give you a bit of an idea of what the process of investigation is like. You know, so all of those kinds of really useful resources I've managed to connect with through Sisters in Crime. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. That, that looks that's very helpful for anybody who wants to get started. And how about, you know, you're, you talk to, you research talking to people in mortuaries and it, like you said, enforcement officers and you, you've learned how to make explosive household items. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously writing crime has taught you all these different things. Has it kind of given you a perspective from each of these people who's involved here, you know, from law enforcement or people in your books, you know, people committing crimes. Have you got more empathy for for the different industry professionals or anything like that? I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, it's hard not to interview people who work in law enforcement, for instance, and not develop a real empathy for how hard the job is you know um and how much of an emotional toll it takes on people i mean look i think one of the reasons why i keep going back to thrillers and crime and you know all of these sorts of stories is not just because i'm interested in the perpetrators you know like people are always talking about how fascinating serial killers are that's a real it's a real thing in our popular culture that we seem to be really obsessed with people like ted bundy and you know the recent series about jeffrey dahmer and we've we've got a real bug you know, about these serial killers and how and why they did what they did. And I think, you know, that's fair enough because those sorts of people have a completely aberrant psychology to us, to regular people, and they're going to behave in very unpredictable and interesting ways, you know, so that's interesting for a reader um, or for a viewer. But I'm not just interested in those people. I'm also really interested in 
what makes a person wake up in the morning decide that they're going to be a homicide detective? You know, they're going to encounter the most brutal, hostile, uh, difficult kind of circumstances in every case that they take on. You know, what drives somebody to become, you know, involved in law enforcement or to take on the kind of role of detective? They have, those people have a really interesting psychology too, actually. It's not something that I'd even thought about before I started writing crime, but the more I've gotten into it, the more I've started to think, you know, this is, this is an equally interesting perspective. Mm, and absolutely. Yeah. What is it that drives them? Is it is it have they got their own personal stories where they want yeah. to help and or they just want to fight crime and be, you know, the, the good side? That's right. I mean, look, uh, a lot of them, you know, they, they're all coming from these really diverse backgrounds and they all have this really diverse motivations for why they choose to commit themselves to to this sort of work I guess it's sometimes it's they're driven by this sense of justice they want justice for the victims or they feel a strong empathy for the victims sometimes they have personal experiences of their own that inform their work you know that have kind of driven them into searching out perpetrators and criminals and you know or sometimes they just have a particular talent for it and those people are really interesting because a lot of them are kind of well I'm just here because I'm good at this (laughs) (laughs) And they and they have a very um they have a very unique perspective as well. So yeah, yeah, I find the whole and I think for YA um readers, for for teenagers who are reading about crime stories, they find crime really interesting. You know, a lot of crime stories are about people who've come to a crossroads and have chosen chosen poorly yeah. <laughs> I guess you would say <laughs> yeah. um, and you know teenagers a lot of them are reaching a point in their lives they're finishing high school they're starting to think about what it's like to um, shape their own lives and make decisions that bring them into an adult life and so to sort of see these sorts of decisions playing out on the page is really interesting for them they're interested in well this is you know maybe a bad way to go <laughs> yeah yeah no it's definitely I think uh, writing crime and YA together is is a great connection there because especially teenage years there is a lot of angst and probably quite dark emotions that arise you know uh, yeah so but uh so and obviously it sounds like there is quite a lot of psychology to the genre and from the per- writing from the perpetrator's perspective I mean can you get so involved there and and that's maybe a bit of a dark place sometimes that you have to step back and oh me and my book club read now this is not a crime novel. I can't, and I can't remember. Oh, no. Little Things or something. It was a Jolty Picolti book. It's the one where they've gone to trial for the white supremacist. Supremacist, yeah. yeah. I think you know I the one I mean? One. Um, she, so that white supremacist, I can't say that word, character, she, every time she was saying she had, she wrote that from that perspective because it was told from three different perspectives. I think it was the the you know the nurse, this white supremacist, and then the mm-hmm. lawyer. She had to go and have a shower after it because it was yeah. just so not her domain. You know, do you find that you're so involved in the work sometimes you have to do the same? Like you creep yourself out. <laughs> yeah. The, no, I was I was just gonna say. I mean, I'm I'm gonna immediately say yes because um, writing from the perspective of someone who's you know, particularly a serial murderer or something like that is really pretty hard to deal with. In fact, I wrote 
probably most my most popular book, Nuncha Sleep, which came out in 2020. And there's a couple of scenes, there's a couple of chapters in that book told from the perspective of the uh, the primary antagonist on yeah he's he's the bad guy and I had to leave those chapters until the end because I found it really hard to swap from you know writing from the perspective of the teenage kind of FBI consultant detectives and then to swap over to this this person who's very alien the very very strange and alien mindset and very uncomfortable place to be so I actually left those chapters until the end (laughs) and then I had to go back through and make sure that I'd I'd you know written them correctly I mean I do a lot of research which freaks me out when I'm I'm writing crime yeah, I mean, yeah, you you have to. I mean, I don't find the gory stuff like talking to autopsy pathology technicians or medical examiners. I don't find that stuff. I've always had a pretty strong stomach, so I'm not really worried about that sort of thing. Reading back through old texts that the FBI put out about juvenile serial murderers, <laughs> that was really disturbing. I had I read I think there was you know sixteen to twenty pages on this this. Uh, breakdown of of statistics and circumstances and cases and things like that and it was just very very creepy and Mm. weird to think of young people you know like you know to think of the idea that Ted Bundy started killing people when he was 14 and that yeah and that you know people who go go into fall into this category they start very young and that's that's really creepy <laughs> i just watched um i was on prime i think you know the, the they were saying that the the killers from the was it the jamie bulger case oh, are, yeah. are released um i think they're released now from from prison and it was sort of ching upon that and i grew up in scotland so i remember that really well um yep. so and then they were 10 or something like yeah. that they did that and it was just horrific and so yeah you do feel quite quite sick I think but in terms of when you reach out to people researching and things is everybody quite quite happy to talk to you um, like to help you with your work I mean, people love to talk about their job. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, that seems to be universal. I mean, unless you really hate your job, but people who are in these jobs, they tend to be in them because they, they feel quite vocational about them. You know, they they didn't just choose um, pathology or, or, you know, autopsy work on a whim. It was something that they were really intrigued by and interested by. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I, I, often I find I'll sort of, pose my first question and it'll just open the floodgates and then they'll just talk and talk and talk (laughs) Um, and particularly for people who work in mortuaries and things like that um, they're often not questioned or asked about their work because people find it very strange so I, I remember I went to London to do some research in 2014 and I went and toured the Westminster Mortuary and they showed me through their forensic suite and so on and so forth. It was amazing. Wow. Yeah, it was. I couldn't believe that I got access really. I, I was um, so relieved and uh, surprised because it's very difficult to get access to mortuary facilities and morgues here in Australia. They're very, very particular about who they let in the door, mostly because they're worried about contamination yeah. um, of evidence in the lead up to upcoming legal cases but the people at the Westminster Mortuary seemed very happy to have me and then I was talking to the autopsy and pathology technician there 
she kind of was the one who toured me around. And I said, well, what's it like when, you know, you're talking to other people about your work? Um, what are their reactions? And she said, oh, it's, it's either that's the absolute end of the conversation. Like people will literally <laughs> walk away. Oh, as God. soon as you say, I'm an autopsy technician, people will just turn around and walk away. <laughs> uh, you probably get the odd couple that are like, ooh, tell me more. Yeah, and then you, and she said, and then, yeah, it's a 50-50, you know, whether they'll just be completely horrified and leave or whether they'll just want to grill you for information. <laughs> so, yeah, people like to talk about their work. Um, law enforcement officers like to talk about their work. They've always got lots of interesting stories. Um, and, you know, I think mainly what I found with research is that once you get up the courage to ask, and that's that seems to be the hardest obstacle is to get up the courage to sort of say, well, look, I'm a professional and I'm I'm only going to have I'm only going to be in London for these very very brief period of time I may as well ask while I'm here I may as well just do what I came to do so I went in and asked them and they said yes and and once you breach that you know once you cross that Rubicon getting people to talk generally is not a problem at all <laughs> yeah no that's amazing advice because I could imagine especially people just starting out writing crime they might, and and don't have a lot of books or stuff behind them they might feel like they they can't who are they to approach somebody yet you know because they're not absolutely so, so putting yourself out there and and just biting the bullet and doing it and like you said being a professional having a professional attitude and uh, you probably yeah met with people who want to speak about like you said what they do and uh yeah so no, that's absolutely fantastic well your books all look amazing uh and you are a hybrid author so you, you you put some self-published and put some books out yourself under your own imprint and you traditionally published how have you decided who you're going to go with traditionally and what ones you wanted to do yourself has there been any kind of not strategic but thoughts going in there or that's a that's a really I mean you know I would like to say that I've been really strategic (laughs) (laughs) but the reality is after I wrote my first crime thriller series the every series I was asked by my publisher to see if I wanted to write a spin-off so I went away and I wrote the spin-off I was really excited about it and I came back to them I said here it is and they were like oh this is really a bit dark and we don't think, we think it's a little kind of hovering on the edge between YA and adult and we can't really publish this. So I was like, oh, okay, dang, I guess I'll just put it in a drawer. And then about a year later, I was thinking, well, why am I living at City in a drawer? I should just release it, you know? So that was my first pub, you know, my first indie published book, No Limits. And it basically takes a secondary character from the series and and off we go to the races. And it was a lot of fun doing that. I enjoyed it a lot. It was an enormous amount of work, but I learned so much and I had I found that having come from a trad pub background, I had an understanding of what sort of quality the book needed to be in order to go out to the public. So that was really helpful. And it was at a time when self-pub was just sort of starting to coalesce as a viable option. So that book came out in 2017. And I had such a lot of fun and got such a lot of support from people. People were like, hell yeah, just do it, you know, yeah. release it. So I was really, really excited to to put it out into the world. And then uh, the following year, I thought, well, maybe I could, you know, I was in the middle of writing something, a new thing for my publishers, which became my book, White Knight. Um, and then at the same time, I was thinking, well, I don't want to lose these skills. You know, I, I've already developed these 
skills. And one thing I, I realized while I was self-publishing is you once you've done the processes once, the best way to really kind of keep up with things is to do it again and again. You know, like um, the more often you self-publish, the more comfortable you become with the processes. And it also allows you to stay current because the processes in self-publishing are updating and improving and changing all the time. You know, by the time I got to publishing my my series, my Circus Heart series, they're like, they're like, a, I guess, a kind of a noir romance series based in a circus. And by the time I got around to publishing those books, you know, I could, uh, there were, there was an app for doing <laughs> things like yeah. things that I'd originally done by hand, you know? So it was, uh, I mean, that's the thing about indie publishing. It's, it's so innovative. It's so vibrant. It's changing constantly. So in order to stay current, yeah, you really, it's really helpful to kind of keep regularly putting things out. Yeah. Do you find if you were obviously saying you're doing it by hand and then you find like there's a tool for it, are you like, yay? Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) It's like, yes, I could spend three days working out how to do this or I could just plug it into this app and it'll be like done in, you know, in less time than it takes me to eat my lunch. So it's it's (laughs) amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, we're very, very lucky for the the times that we live in and this is a viable option that we can just get our work out there, which is great. So do you, how often do you publish in both regards, traditionally and self-publishing? So I last published in 2018 and I published the Circus Heart series. And that was really an experiment to see whether or not I could write fast enough. So I thought, okay, well, uh, I knew I was already a fast writer. So I challenged myself. I decided that I was going to do this experiment where I was going to do this insane thing where I was going to publish, I was going to write and publish three books in one year. Does help a lot when you're self-publishing if you can write fast, you know, if you can... the, the frequency of release allows you to stay on top of the algorithm. So it's helpful if you can put out frequent releases. Yeah. Were these so, like 50,000 words long or how, how, what was the word count here? I think with the three book series, I decided I was just going to make things a bit easier for myself and I wasn't going to write anything more than 65, 70,000 words. So I just decided I would hit that mark and then go no that's, further. That's quite a lot though. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> big. It is still quite a lot. I know. I know. It is, I must have been a little bit drained. But also <laughs> I was I was really enthusiastic about the stories that I'd started putting together. And I, I sort of thought, oh well, it's a challenge. I might as well. I might as well give it a shot, you know? So I did those books in 2018. And then my next book got p- picked up for traditional publication in 2019. So I haven't had a chance to release anything new since then in the indie world, but I will definitely go back again. If there's a if there's a project I feel like I'm really on fire to write, but it doesn't really seem to fit in with a trad publisher. And also if I want to have that increased control, you know, trad publishing is particularly in the US, which is where I'm largely um, focused now, Um, It's such an enormous, slow-moving machine, and it can take such a long time to get from finished manuscript to book on shelf that quite often... And also, you know, there's, there's other things like, say I want to do something that's a genre mashup and it doesn't really fit anyone's list. Or say, you know, you're a writer from a diverse group and you want to you wanna see books out in the world that reflect your experience, your life, and they're just, they're just not 
publishing them. You know, publishing is, I don't think it's, you know, always deliberately exclusive, but it, it, it can come down to things like, well, we've already got X books by um, a diverse author or from this perspective, or, you know, we've already covered that on our list this year. So we're not really open to accepting new books in that area. So that was, you know, something that I thought about too, when I was, I was writing some of my other books is, you know, will this fit in a trad publisher's list? They like to have really clear-cut genres. They like to have really clear-cut characters. They like things with direct commercial appeal. And I'm not saying that you don't have to have those things in English public, indie pub books. Um, definitely, you know, it's helpful to have a lot of commercial appeal. But um, if you don't think that it's going to fit in anybody's list, then yeah, um, indie pubbing might be the way to go. Yeah, you got room to play, which is great. I just wondered, obviously, it probably wasn't an issue or did it ever come up? So, you know, the book that you had traditionally published that you then did the spin-off series for with that character, I suppose the contract with the publisher is for that book and not so much about the character. So it wasn't an issue that you had the same character going off and then self-publishing that That's a really good question. I think more and more you have to be aware that in trad pub contracts, they will include a non-compete. So they will say that you cannot publish a book in the same story world or with the same characters within a certain time period of the release of the book that you're contracted for. So my contract for every move, for the every series, last book was published in 2015. So we'd effectively, by the time we got to 2017, we'd kind of effectively passed the non-compete time limit. But I had a really good relationship with my publisher and I still do. They're still my Australian publisher. And so as a politeness and because, you know, I'm professional, (laughs) I went to them, I went to my editor and I said, look, I know you guys didn't really, you know, jibe with this book that it wasn't really right for your list. I'm thinking I'll release it myself. Are you okay if I do that? So, you know, I mean, I just thought it was a politeness thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Also, you know, it was kind of covering me legally to make sure that I had the publisher's permission to head with it, considering that it was in, it was using characters in a world that I'd already built up through their, Mm. their publishing platform, their, their brand, you know, I sort of thought it was a good idea legally to make sure that I checked in with them and that it was all okay. So usually these, uh, was it non-compete or compete or whatever you said, um, they can be sort of around a, a few years mark? It can depend a little bit. I mean, you'd have to check your contract, individual contract to see, but I think mine was between six or 12 months. So I couldn't release, yeah, I couldn't release anything for six or 12 months. Now for some people who are indie publishing regularly, that might be an issue, you know, so that's something that, you know, if you're working with a trad pub and say you have a three book series with them, like I did, and you want to spin off another series and you want to do it within the next six to 12 months to capitalize on the momentum of the first series. Mm-hmm. That's something that you should really be talking to the trad publisher about and getting maybe getting some legal advice about. Yeah, that's all fantastic there. So, well, thank you so much of all that you're sharing. I just wanted to ask one quick question before you yeah, do finish. Sure. You know, what is something you now know? <laughs> that you wish you'd known way back when you started writing? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's very, that's a very broad question. I love broad questions. <laughs> okay. In traditional publishing, I would say absolutely do not pitch until the work that you've got is 100% A class. You have to be pitching at the absolute top of your game with traditional publishing. And I would not 
pitch anything less than something that was that was like I felt like it was at the limit of my writing ability so would that be after you'd intentionally edited it had other people read it worked on it for like a period of time yeah 100 percent. I would I would definitely not be pitching anything that I thought was in any way you know I would be like I've got a complete novel it's the absolute best thing that I can write on this on this subject that and if I had to rewrite it I would I would not be I would not change a word and make sure everything's absolutely pristine when you submit so that's trad pub indie pub what would i say i would say first of all stay within your budget (laughs) please stay within your budget that's really important get to know the processes by doing it all yourself i mean i think that gives you the greatest amount of control there's so many different options isn't there i I put an episode a few episodes back on on all the various options out there that you can Obviously, the way that I go about it is I have like an editor and mm-hmm. a, a cover designer and all that sort of stuff. But I use software to do the formatting and then have it on the usual channels through like Ingram Spark and Amazon and stuff. I don't actually use another company to create the thing. Yeah, for me, yeah. Like a hybrid publisher person. But uh, yeah, there's just so, so much out there, isn't there? <laughs> I mean, look, the more you take responsibility for it, no one's going to love it like you. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's going to love it and know it and understand the story in the way that you do. So absolutely take control, take responsibility, learn how all of this stuff works, learn how the industry works, you know. I just think it's really, really important that people, Mm. and also I think my final two tips would be. Yeah, sorry, um, cut you off there. (laughs) No, no, that's fine. (laughs) My final tips would be watch romance authors because they are at the absolute bleeding edge of indie publishing and always have been. And I am always keeping an eye on what romance publishers, romance authors are doing because where wherever they jump is going to be the next big thing for um, indie publishing. And for both indie and trad pub, treat your work like a business, you know, mm-hmm. like that is really the big one. Would that be having a writing time, sticking to it, filing your paperwork when you need to do your taxes right away? <laughs> like those things. Yes, all of that yeah. stuff. And, and you know, think about it in terms of hours worked, how much you're earning, what sort of incomes and outcome, outflows you have in terms of in terms of expenses. You know, get your own get your own ABN. Get get a you know a, get a business bank account that is separate from your personal bank account, so that you know how much you're actually earning from this. You know, all of this sort of stuff, and act professional, I guess. You know, but in your interactions with other publishing industry professionals. There is never going to be a bad time or you're never going to have a bad experience if you behave in a polite and professional way with other people in the industry. That's always going to, you know, reap dividends. <laughs> yeah, it goes a long way, doesn't it? To have It really does. <laughs> yeah, it really does. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Ellie. That was all absolutely fantastic for anyone listening out there who would like to get into crime and obviously check out your amazing books. But can you please tell thank us where you. can they discover you, your books on and offline and also all of any fabulous courses or anything else you offer? You can find me online. You know, I am on all of the things. I am. I have my website, which is elimani.com. I have. I am on Twitter. I am on um, Instagram. I am. I am even on TikTok. Oh, um, good you on know, you! <laughs> one of the old ladies of TikTok. <laughs> do you enjoy the, these platforms? And do you enjoy like marketing and social media? I only and stuff? use the ones that I enjoy. Yeah. yeah. 
but I suppose and for yourself that's why yeah, it's it's a it is a young demographic there so it is yeah on it. that's right and you know look TikTok's a lot of fun man yeah. it's really yeah. great <laughs> I've never been on it and I've never watched it yet so oh hours <laughs> hours of time wasted ahead oh. <laughs> Yeah, so sorry, where else can everyone get you? Um, yeah, look, that's probably it. If you keep up with my newsletter, I have a newsletter called um, The Black Hand. So if Ooh. you look up Ellie Marnie Substack newsletter, uh, you will find me. And that's where I tend to have my most recent updates. Um, and yeah, and the website is where you can find all my books as well, unless I'm, you know, hanging and plus the link on my Twitter bio if you hang out on Twitter where I will be frequently uh, found hanging around and I don't know what I've been doing posting memes about the Barbie movie I think most recently <laughs> is that out yet? <laughs> no but the trailer dropped and it was like Whoa! oh gosh I don't know if I can do it <laughs> it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun it's a lot of pink is what it is it's oh, gosh, really yeah. hilarious <laughs> Oh, look, it's been really amazing talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. And, yeah, I hope people find something interesting in what I've said. Oh, millions <laughs> of things. So thank you so much for your time. That was amazing. Thank you. And take it easy. So there you have it, folks, the amazing Ellie Marnie. And I'm currently making my way through her backlist now, and she's such an aesthetic writer. Her words are truly inspiring to me. It's not really my usual genre, but I'm pretty hooked. So I encourage you to go and check out Ellie's books if you haven't already. Next time on the Hybrid Author Podcast, we have children's and YA, historical fiction and adult contemporary author Sasha Wosley. And she's chatting to us about pseudonyms as she writes, as, as you can imagine, having all those genres. She writes under many names across multiple genres and we want to know how she manages them all in between obviously motherhood and all sorts of things so that's coming up next week i wish you well on your author adventure this next week that's it for me it's bye for now that's the end for now authors i hope you're further forward in your author adventure after listening and i hope you'll listen next time remember to head on over to the hybrid author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass it's bye for now